loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Marv Widener. Marv lives in the beautiful mountainous Gunnison Valley of Western Colorado and is a volunteer with Living Journeys, a local not-for-profit organization providing services and support to cancer patients and their families and caregivers. He's the co-author of When the Rocks Sing, a new book about grief which places the voice of a man who lost his beloved wife to cancer side by side with the perspective of the grief counselor who walked the road of rebuilding and resiliency with him. He's the proud father and grandfather to his and Marty's, his wife's children. Welcome, Marv. Thank you, Cheryl. We we share the most blessed of of experiences, which is um, being being in uh, a true love. I've had that experience twice now. Um, my wife who died and my wife I am currently married to. And there, uh, I noticed in your book you say you're the one of one of the luckiest men alive, or maybe you even say the luckiest man alive. <laughs> um, I think and I'm luckiest. Yes. And that, and I'm sure that's what you're referring to. So that's our. That's our starting point, but of course, your book is about her losing her life to cancer and what that brought into your life, and of course, that comes with a lot of pain, doesn't it? It does. Um, <clears throat> can you just tell yours and Marty's story a bit so the listeners know a bit about your relationship and and her cancer diagnosis and how you navigated that together? Sure. Uh, Marty and I were together for 19 years. 15 of those, uh, we were married. Uh, our love was, um, was like a couple bubble. We had our, we had our own world together. Um, and that doesn't mean we were shut off from the world, but we created our own uh, relationship on our own terms we were deeply in love and were very dedicated to each other and really decided early on that we were going to make our relationship our number one priority. Uh, we used to say, if we were okay, everything else can be okay or would be okay. Um, we shared everything. We owned and built a business together. We raised children together. We held hands and faced the hard things of life together and celebrated the joys of life together. Um, we were deeply in love and very dedicated to each other. So in 2016, uh, Marty started experiencing uh, pain in, in her bones, in her joints, and at first, the doctors thought it was arthritis or something similar. But in late September 2016, uh, we discovered that it was cancer. 
And we also discovered that it had metastasized throughout her body. Mm. When, we, when we first um, entered the hospital, uh, we were told by the radiation oncologist that if she did not have whole brain radiation, um, she would be gone in a month. So <clears throat> we went through the initial uh, devastation of getting that news. And then, you know, through successive treatments and tests, we experienced a series of diagnosis and prognoses. And we knew early on that the chances of her surviving uh, what was lung cancer that had metastasized were almost slim to none. And Marty had never smoked a day in her life, but it was, so it was a double shock that it was not only cancer, mm. but lung cancer. So, and it sounds as if also she was a pretty healthy person, pretty hale and hearty up to that she, point. She was Cheryl. It was a, it was a complete um, shock. It was um, so much a shock that when we got the call, we were together uh, driving in uh, our truck to the, to the hospital. And we found out, from our from one of our doctors who called and told us it was cancer it was like in the span of a phone call the future went away mm-hmm. and the past didn't matter anymore um our stomachs just fell when we heard this news so as we as we began the the, the cancer treatments and there were many um, Marty was very determined to live every life that she, every day she could and, you know, leaned hard into chemotherapy operations to stabilize her hips, whole brain radiation. Um, we tried everything and she really knew as did I, um, that this would take her life, but she wanted every day she could possibly have for her life. Um, one night we were, we lived up in uh, a log home on the side of a mountain at that time. And we walked outside one night, starry skies. And she said, you know, this is the universe that's going to give me more life. Mm-hmm. She, she loved life. Um, and I guess what I would want people to know about Marty is that she was able to live in the moment every day of those nine months that she survived and faced her own death with what I call uncommon courage. Um, she knew she was going to die, but every day she you know, valued the, the time we had together and the small things in life, whether it was you know, sipping a glass of orange juice, watching the deer out on the yard. Um, She really embraced and loved life and stayed very present in spite of uh, daunting pain and uh, a terminal diagnosis. I I feel as if uh, Marty and, you know, my first wife who died would would have gotten along very well because there's a similar quality of um, 
I don't know, before that experience, watching her uh, live with cancer for nearly a decade, um, I don't know that I really adored life. I was never suicidal, but watching how how much she was willing to do just to be alive uh, for all that time, it, it it made me appreciate living more um, for myself. I I adore life much more, and it's kind of ironic. <laughs> it it wouldn't have been the result I would have expected. A parallel for me, Cheryl, was after Marty passed, I was, I was equal parts interested in life and living and just fine or not afraid of death. And that was a very happy place for me. It was like equilibrium. I wasn't, I wasn't afraid of the future and I was okay with my own impermanence or my own mortality um, and then after a while I started being more interested in life than in you know than I was okay with dying mm. and I became anxious about the future again that <laughs> that's that's an irony isn't it, it is. I, I had a moment like that myself <laughs> there's something about the presence of living in the face of sure death that's strangely relieving. It is <laughs> calming, actually. Uh, and, and, and I, I caught myself in that and then got my, you know, worked with myself, my grief counselor, to get myself back to kind of an equilibrium of, um, and, and there's a saying that, that Marty and I had from uh, the dojo where we studied, and that is face death at any moment live life fully at all times. And kind of meditating on that saying really helped me get back to a balance of being okay with either one. I'm, I'm thinking of a, of a little app I was engaging with on my phone for quite a while called We Croak. And the idea of the app was just that five times a day it sends you a quote about death or living in the face of death and um, it was based on a culture where that's thought to be the key to, to happiness hmm. which i think has some some value as an idea what do you think i think it does too um you know one of the things that really uh prepared both marty and i for the cancer experience and ultimately her passing was the acceptance of the impermanence of life and the acceptance that death um, is inevitable, not in sort of a fearsome way, but what we found was really embracing the impermanence of all things gave us a sense of urgency to live life in the moment and live life fully and also a sense of freedom. Mm -hmm. uh, what, one of the things we discovered, Cheryl, uh, when you know, we were really facing in the last weeks of Marty's life is that if you're not afraid of death, you don't have to be afraid of anything. Mm. It would be a good moment for you to share a little from the book. Would you, would you uh, share that section on preparation? 
Sure. Um, so one of the things that uh, Marty and I did, and it, it just happened, we were sitting out on the deck one evening, looking down the valley and holding hands with our chairs together. And we had a conversation, actually Marty initiated it. And that was, well, what would we want for each other um, if one of us were to die? And what we, what we talked about is that we would want the surviving spouse to go on with their life, to find happiness, and to live life fully. That's what we wanted for each other. And, mm. you know, including finding love again. That conversation has had so much bearing on my own happiness and my own recovery from losing her. Mm. And it has given me sort of a, the freedom to begin exploring life again and exploring love again and being once again in love with life. That preparation was extraordinarily powerful for us. So that's, that's one aspect of preparation. Um, one of the things that happened uh, for us was that Marty was not afraid of that. What she was afraid of was being surprised by it. So what we experienced was that she was not afraid of death. Marty was not afraid of death. She was afraid of being surprised by death. So it was very important to her the arc of her life was coming to a close that she have a pretty good idea of how much time she had left. And as we would, you know, on, on days, we would tearfully hold each other and acknowledge what the nurses and the doctors were saying to us about how much time she probably had left. Let's talk about that more when we get back. It's time for a break, and I don't want to shorten that. So let's go to a break and, co and come back in a, few, in a few minutes. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Uh, all, all my social media accounts are listed there, my email list, and my novel. There's a link to my novel there. And to find the book... Um, you can go to When the Rocks Sing, you can go to any of your favorite booksellers. Be back soon. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com dot com slash good grief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Oh, 
corazón. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine Miller-Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Marv Widener about his memoir and grief guide, When the Rocks Sing. And Marv, before that, we we cut to the break because I didn't want to, you know, shorten your your sharing about the preparation that the two of you did. Um, Of course, not everybody does talk about uh, a what if before I mean I had so many conversations with my wife about that but that's because she'd had a diagnosis right so you were thinking in terms of that uh, before there was there was a specific about it and I feel that's so such a valuable thing for people to hear that it's worth talking about even though it's not happening right now um, you know, we can't be prepared, but we can prepare, can't we? We can. Uh, we can. You know, I I think about that as uh, compassion in death. It's compassionate for your partner, uh, who who you know is is grieving your loss or grieving their loss of you. Uh, but speaking from the from the survivor spouse perspective or survivor partner perspective, having that conversation well ahead of time really creates a, a compassion for the surviving spouse to be able to feel free to be given uh, gracefully um, the freedom, the desire from your departed partner that you'll go on with life. And it's, it's had a profound effect on me. Um, and it's given me a sense of freedom to pursue, you know, my own happiness now mm-hmm. in life without Marty. Let's have you read a little from the book about this. And, and then um, I have a couple of thoughts uh, to follow up on it. Sure. This small section is 
entitled preparation, uh, as much as we have the resiliency to keep on living, we also have the resiliency to face our own death if we have to. If we're told that our death is imminent, we have the ability to face that too. Marty did so with uncommon courage. She was never afraid of her own death. Her fear was that death would surprise her. She was fearful that she would not know it was near. And she asked me to tell her as it got closer to her time. From the beginning of our relationship, we had made a commitment to share everything, hold nothing back. And for 19 years, we shared every day how much we loved each other and we talked through the difficult things right away without waiting for it to fester. During the cancer experience, we also shared how grateful we were to be with each other and for the life we shared. We knew how fortunate we were, and I still believe now that I'm the luckiest man I know. So that she would not be surprised as Marty's life arced closer to its end, she and I would go over what her doctors and caregivers were saying was happening with her body. The nurses and caregivers were aware of her fear, offering helpful information along the way, and we consulted with them often during the last couple of months of her life, especially. Holding each other through shared tears, we acknowledged in the last couple of weeks that her weakened condition made it obvious that her time was getting close. All of this was our way of dealing with and preparing for the loss of her life. We were fortunate to have the time we had to plan for her passing and for her to not be surprised by it. Together, we discovered that if you're not afraid of death, you don't have to be afraid of anything. This, this uh, conversation and that passage made me think of a couple of things. One was that um, my wife made me pretty much promise to love again which I was very mad about at the time. I'll just admit that. <laughs> but she was like, we've learned so much, don't waste it. Uh, such a generous thing, but if you're in a relationship where you want the happiness of the other person, then if you're dying, you encourage them to be happy, right? And sometimes that has really specific aspects. Yes. So I was thinking about that, and of course that did me a lot of good when I did get ready to approach relationship again, um, that I was um, told to, right? Because you want to honor the person, don't you? You do. And then the other thing that it made me uh, think about is, of course, I, because I work with illness and grief and all that, I hear a lot of people talking about being afraid of death. Uh, mostly people who haven't been there when somebody died. But um, I find that you have to ask the follow-up question, which is what afraid, what makes you afraid of it? <laughs> you know, for her, it wasn't death itself. It was, would she be prepared? And um, there are certain, I'm not afraid of death. There are certain ways of dying that make me pretty anxious, uh, which came up at the beginning of COVID. Um, often though, it's pre-death things like dependency or being a burden or uh, things that actually have to do with the way one lives their life with disability. Um, and I wonder if that 
if that resonates for you, this idea that you have to get more specific about what you're actually afraid of. I think that's, I think that's very helpful, Cheryl. You know, in, in terms of death, um, I, I would, I would suggest that we don't really know what it is, right? We don't really know. We might have faith or belief or hopes about what's next or if there is anything next. So we decided, Marty and I decided that it was silly to be afraid of something that we didn't know or understand. And well, wait, I have to I have to slow you down because that's exactly the reason people get afraid of things. <laughs> Isn't it? it, is. it you're is. right. You're out of control. You don't know what it is. <laughs> right. So we, we, we came to the opposite conclusion. There was why be afraid of something that we we really don't even know what it is. Right. Right. Um, and it really helped us. That was part of our preparation, I think. Uh, but the more specific you can be about what you're afraid of, uh, I think the greater chance that we have of, of facing it and, and dealing with it. You know, I, the only way to change something, as far as I know, is to face it as honestly as possible and be as honest as possible about what it is that we're afraid of. And for Marty and for me, uh, one of our discoveries is that fear is self-generated. I mean, unless you're encountering a, you know, a grizzly and her cubs, uh, which is existential fear, um, most fear is fear that we generate, you know, within our own minds and our own hearts. Mm. And we decided pretty early on uh, in our relationship that we were not going to live out of fear. Um, and that when fear came up, we would talk about it. And that served, that served us uh, so well during the cancer experience and served me uh, during the grief and recovery mm. as well. Um, when I experienced fear, um, I just realized that I'm generating it and I have some control over whether or not I want to continue to do that. It is possible too, and I think this uh, is something that you allude to in in your book. It is possible to just let a feeling come in, have it, and let it go. You know, to kind of keep pace with all of that, because um, it doesn't work to try to get rid of it. I think you'd agree, um, um, but it also doesn't work to to grip it, to hold on to it. So it sounds as if you and she were pretty good at uh, letting the letting the experiences you were having um, flow. We were I, the way the way in which I think about this, looking back now, is that, and this is this is really coming out of my grief experience, is that as emotions come up. Um, I realized early on that if I tried to suppress them or delay them, divert or ignore them, that those feelings would stick to me. And the feeling I had about that, the sense I had of that was that, you know, my deeper wisdom, my spirit, my heart, my mind are trying really hard to express those emotions 
So my commitment has been, and I think this is uh, perhaps uh, one of the most important things that I try to write about in the book, is letting those feelings come, allowing them to be expressed, whatever they are, and feeling them in the moment when they come up. Uh, whenever I tried, whenever I, I did, you know, suppress them or stop them, and I tried to go back to them, it was more of an intellectual exercise than an emotional release. So I made a commitment that I was going to allow whatever, whatever feelings were coming up to allow those to be expressed, even if I was with other people. Um, I just gave myself permission to allow those feelings to be expressed so that they didn't stick to me. And I, I likened it to grief being like a lover, and that is letting her have her way with me. So can I, I can allow myself to feel, to be alive, to be fully human. And it really became a critical part of the healing process for me. I resonate with that a lot. And it, um, that, that period right at, you know, I'm now, um, my goodness, just a few days ago, it was 20, 27 years since my first wife died. Um, so it's it's different, but I still remember <laughs> the first the first periods of time. And what shocked me was that there were a lot of feelings that came through that I didn't expect to be part of it, like gratitude and joy and warming memory. And you know, it wasn't all the terrible and awful. If I let the terrible and awful, if I didn't um, get attached to it as bad and try to get rid of it, if I just let it happen, a lot of other feelings uh, happen more easily. That's been my experience too, Cheryl. Uh, you know, one gets to a point where you're, you're smiling while you're crying, if that makes sense. Well, it makes complete sense to me, obviously. <laughs> but it's not what we expect, is it? No. I, I mean, um, the, you know, I was, as you were talking about that period before Marty died, of course, you were looking ahead to extremely different experiences in a way, right? Whatever death was going to be, that's where she was going. And whatever grief looked like was where you were going but the principle applies in either circumstance it does to just be present to what what's happening as succinctly as possible too i find for myself um the less i say about the feeling but I, it does help to take note of what it is but a big explanation doesn't help i just have to have it <laughs> Just and name yeah. it enough to have it, but that's it. One that's word, it. it seems to work best. Just let it happen, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. can always reflect on it later, but just let it happen. Um, and it, this does imply, Marv, that you had um, quite a, a loving and accepting community because I find that people have a very hard time having all their feelings around other people if those people are not just welcoming. 
Because it's so vulnerable. Oh, you're so vulnerable. And I, I found uh, myself telling, you know, friends or members of my community, just know that if, if, you know, if I'm sad, I'm going to cry. <laughs> you, you know, if you stick around me long enough, you will see me cry, you know, in those, in those early months. I, um, at one point I started back uh, to work and I'm a consultant. I work with uh, local governments and in my first engagement back to work, I told uh, the groups I was working with, it just happened to be in Las Cruces, New Mexico, that, and they, they, they knew, you know, that Marty had passed. I said, I may need to excuse myself from time to time. And if I do just know, I'll be, you know, I'll just step outside um, and, you know, let the emotions flow and then I'll be back and, you know, in 20 or 30 minutes. And it happened a few times and they were very accepting. I think in large part because I sort of managed that expectation, but I wanted to create that space for myself to be able to do that. But the fact is in order to grieve properly in this culture, you have to be a little bit revolutionary. And then you've told everyone else that that's possible. And I am aware that because of socialization, basically, um, what a dramatic thing for people to see, a man who accepts his tears, who accepts his grief, who tells the whole room full of people who are paying you, right, uh, that you're going to cry if you need to cry. I mean, that had to have had an impact beyond, obviously, the way that it helped you. But don't you imagine that informs people of what's possible? I, I do. Um you know, the reasons for doing it were, you know, purely selfish. Uh, I was taking care of myself. But I heard several people comment that they had never witnessed that before. Someone, especially a man in this culture, willing to say out loud, I'm sad, I'm going to go outside and cry now. Um, and it, it seemed to give them permission to do you know, something similar for themselves. And just to be clear, women don't have an easy time crying in front of people either. But I do think it's less um, uh, socially condemned, a little less socially condemned. Um, so I, I do think that when, you know, there have been so many times that I've, that I've, um, just just factually and 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 really talked about death some people think too much but i'll take it um, that that just sort of changes the the atmosphere to a degree and uh, i'm i'm just guessing that's very that's especially true of um trying to change the perception of men as invulnerable or you know, strong, taking it on the chin, all that kind of thing. Do you think that the practices you've done, I know you've pra done Buddhist practice and that kind of thing, did it help to soften that societal expectation before all this? It did. Uh, it was um, 
the Buddhist practice was focused on staying present in the moment, uh, which was very important to both Marty and my happiness, you know, before and during the cancer, and then was extremely powerful for me when I was grieving to stay present in the moment and feel what I was feeling. Um, but I found, you know, again, the awkwardness of grieving in society. I, I feel the pressure and have felt the pressure that, you know, men don't do that. Um, but I've also, you know, realized that we have, um, contrary to your practice and this wonderful podcast, we have, we have a culture of silence about death. Well, I think that it's hard for people to talk about death. We're, as a culture, I've found us really pretty inarticulate about death and mostly afraid to talk about it. And it feels terribly awkward. You know, if I'm out to dinner with friends and I bring up death, it's like, you know, I just killed the evening. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, damn, nobody's I talking. Mean that's the kind happened. that's the kind of dinner table I like to be at. So right? <laughs> I'm a weirdo. <laughs> I know. So Because it, honestly, if you can talk about that, you can talk about anything. Precisely. You know, the, the conversation is deep and open. I it's helped me to get over I used to be a little social phobic. Well, that's because I didn't do well with chatting. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so you know, right? people will either walk away or share something deep if you if you talk about your losses, don't I, you think? I do, I do. You know, if people if people are able to talk with each other about their losses, it can it can very much become a, a healing experience. Just to be able to talk about it, just to feel the relief of saying it's okay to talk about it. I want to know about your losses and, and what your experiences has been. And, you know, let the other person ask me about mine. And mm -hmm. it, it really becomes a, a bonding experience when those of us who have experienced the loss of a loved one and the power of grief, to be able to share that um, is, is, is very healing. Very, very healing. I was, I had, I, um, a, a guest of mine, uh, Elaine Mansfield, she wrote a book called Leaning Into Love about the death of her husband. And she came to town. And so I actually got to meet her, which was great. But she had, she was there to do a ritual and uh, she was having it in the bar where her son worked. Uh, they had kind of reserved the basement or something. So it was mostly younger people. But she did this ritual where um, the first person lit a candle and named the, named the name of the person they'd lost, and then someone else would come up and do the same thing with another candle through the whole room. And every single person had had a loss. And we didn't even talk about those losses, but it was so intimate by the end. There were maybe 30 or 40 people there. Um, that sense of shared humanity in loss was really profound. And um, so when I walk down the street, sometimes I'm thinking everybody's lost somebody, you know, <laughs> I'm sure it's true. Um, and it really does connect us, doesn't it? it really Let's does. go to another break and we'll come back and talk some more. Listeners, you can go to weatheringgrief.com 
which is my website, or the Good Grief host page to find me. And to find Marv Winder, Widener's book, you can go to Ballast Books and put in his name or um, When the Rocks Sing, the title of the book. Back after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Marv Widener about his memoir and grief guide, When the Rocks Sing. And uh, Marv, you're talking about something that most of my guests uh, think about, which is, you know, the kind of death phobic aspect of the culture. I I have to say that I've been doing this a long time and it has changed a bit. Um, It was already changing. And then I feel COVID really made everybody kind of uh, aware, at least you know, of of it as a real thing. So much death we've experienced in the last few years. But that doesn't mean we necessarily know how to do it yet. Um but certainly I've 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 interviewed probably four hundred authors of books about grief. So it's out there, but we don't tend to look at it until it's us. Yes? 
Yes. But but you and Marty did to an extent. We did. <clears throat> we were um, thankfully very intentional about it. And that was, I think it was in large part, um, I would give Marty credit for that because it was hers, it was her death that we were facing. And she had the courage to talk about it, to be open and honest about how she was feeling about it, um, what was important to her, and to think about her life um, and what it meant to be, you know, to be where she was, to, mm -hmm. to have a cancer diagnosis and know that it was going to take her life. So I give much of the credit to her for that. And I'm also aware, at least with uh, Joanne's death, my first wife's death, and of course we had a much longer time for this to happen, but everybody in our community also changed. And of course we were much younger, so fewer people had had an experience of a near death. Uh, of someone cl very close to them. But the way that people handled her illness at the beginning and the end were remarkably different. So to me, that's encouraging because that's a relatively brief time in human history, 10 years. But that one experience really changed all of those people's, most of those people's perspective on death and how to approach it. And I've seen that as I'm now pretty old and my friends are dying of things and I see the experience showing itself in how they face that. Have you noticed that in your community? I have. Uh, Marty's death in particular uh, impacted our community. Uh, and I think it really brought for those closest to us, a sense of urgency about living life fully mm -hmm. because they saw a very vibrant, healthy, happy um, woman, you know, be taken by cancer. And it was, it was a bit of a, if, if I may, a wake up call for the importance of living life right now. Um, it had a lot of effect on people, I think. And, when she was first diagnosed, I think there was sadness and concern. Sure. But the poignancy of her passing really brought about, I think, a lot of self-reflection for, for those people that were close to us. I'm remembering, we spent a lot of time with Stephen and Andrea Levine. I don't know if you know who they are, but I mention them often because they helped so much. And one thing that Stephen used to say is, um, you can tell uh, an open-hearted death because everyone around the person has some amount of healing. Oh, that's, and, that's beautiful. Uh, yeah. Well, he said he was a poet. He said many beautiful things. Very but, wise. Uh, very wise person. But um, I think that it, it's true because then you all go through it together. There's no corners of hiding or you know it's it's just um oh we can face this too and i do think that that heals people from all of the hidden things we have in our lives not just death but all the secrets yeah <laughs> all the secrets 
Would you would you share the part of your book that uh, you've titled "Letting Grief Have Its Way"? I'd be delighted. Thanks, Cheryl. Uh, this is a small section about how important it was for my healing to allow the the feelings to come up and be embraced. So it reads: the hardest and most important thing I've discovered is to allow grief to happen. Getting out of my own way to let the feelings flow was perhaps the most consequential thing I learned as I grieved. I cannot express this strongly enough. Whenever those feelings related to a loss, whatever they are, do not stop, divert, delay, deny, or ignore them. I realize this is not the first or only time I've addressed this in the book. There's a reason why. It's essential to who we are as humans and to our ability to call on our inner strengths. To me, grief is like a lover, letting her have her own way so that I can truly allow myself to feel, be fully alive, to be fully human and heal. You trust it, you go with it when it comes up. When the feelings come, embrace them. Then you can come back to yourself and to your life. Many of us suppress those feelings for a number of reasons, it's too painful, or it's not convenient right now. You might feel we'll be embarrassed to cry and that people we're with won't care or won't understand. And then we'll have to explain ourselves and we really don't want to talk about it. You can often feel these strong emotions coming on and have time to make a decision either to ignore or suppress them or to let them get expressed at the time they come up. There's a sense of urgency or immediacy to those feelings. They seem to need to be expressed at the time they come up. If I tried to recover the feelings later, it was more of a, an intellectual exercise. Whatever those feelings are at the moment, they are what your psyche, your spirit, and mind are trying to express. Our deeper wisdom is telling us how we feel, how we're experiencing our incredible loss, and giving us a chance to ease the hurt within us and learn more about who we are. Expressing your feelings as they come up is a way to be present and live authentically in the moment. It is very important to me to live honestly and avoid any sense that others might not understand. I knew they couldn't really comprehend what I had experienced. Being authentic and honest about how you are really feeling gives others an opportunity to grapple with what they're experiencing. Without that, they can't truly be supportive. I was fortunate not to have my grief experience complicated by guilt or shame or anger or regrets. Everyone experiences loss. It comes along with life, losses of dreams and ideals of a job or an opportunity, of self-esteem when we don't live up to our standards. It can be a long list for some of us. We face the loss of our own life and there's the loss of loved ones, which will happen if we live long enough. The more we love, the more we have to lose. Love and loss are in nearly equal proportion. Embracing loss as a part of life leads to a rich, deeply fulfilling encounter with our own existence. The central idea of this book is to inspire and encourage us to embrace our losses and as an essential part of living a full life. I say this in the face of losing my love, the love of my life my wife of 19 years. Friends have said this is a courageous position to take. 
Honestly, it's the only one I can take. I would not survive if I had tried to hide from or avoid the grief. It's the only way I know to move forward, to again, live life fully. I wanna add a couple of things that I notice stops people up in their in their grief. Um, Self-criticism, which it doesn't seem as if you experience to a great degree. Judging your feelings, in other words, really gets in the way of them, doesn't it? <laughs> and and um, being afraid of them. Uh, for instance, I've heard hundreds and hundreds of times, you're going to think I'm crazy, but, which I never think. <laughs> you know, um, but but it, right? <laughs> you know, I I I don't look at things that way. But grief is never crazy; it's intense, right? And um, as soon as someone says you're going to think I'm crazy, they're not allowing themselves to have the feeling fully. Wouldn't you agree? I would. I would. So I I wanted to add those two things because. You didn't apparently, you, you'd had practice just recognizing what you were feeling and letting it be, but many people have not had that practice. And it's worth practicing over smaller things so that you have the resource when it's a big thing. But uh, not everyone, many people have to learn that in grief. And that's a hard place to learn it. So excruciating for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. So I we only have a couple minutes left, but it's interesting to me that uh, you know at the end of every chapter, your your grief counselor wrote a section. That's interesting. So I just wanted to mention it before we get out of here. That that's a somewhat unusual thing, and and I think useful. So um, I'm sure there's a story about how you came to do that together. Right, <laughs> move is. out of the move out of the counselor uh, counselee relationship into into that, and it does, of course, indicate that you had a deep trust of her and of her knowledge, not just her compassion and and um, presence, but her knowledge. Would that be true to say? Yes, it, it it's not an exaggeration to say that I would be less of a human being uh, if it not had been for Carol. Well, I'm I'm really glad I gave you an opportunity to say that. We don't have time to talk about it more, but I couldn't get out of here without mentioning that. Thanks so much for being with, with me today. Thanks, Sharon. And, and listeners, go to Ballast Books to find When the Rocks Sing. Next week, I'll have Rosalie Bluston back on the show. She's been here a couple times to talk about her new book, Almost. The book chronicles the process of letting go of the career in the theater she'd always envisioned. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thank you. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management have you become a member yet sign up now to become a member of voice america it's always free and easy plus you get to take advantage of some great member benefits get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels keep track of your favorite episodes shows and hosts in your own customizable library Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. An inspirational speaker and an Amazon number one best-selling author, Carol Edmonston has shared her interactive workshops with both children and adults. Whether it's in a school, hospital, or a professional business organization, Carol is committed to impacting quality of life. By weaving a connection between mind, body, and spirit through the creativity of doodling, Carol has been profiled in the New York Times and has appeared in Chicken Soup for the Breast Cancer Survivor's Soul, Forbes Health, and Women's World, among numerous other publications. Pick up Carol's award-winning book, The Healing Power of Doodling, Mindfulness Therapy to Deal with Stress, Fear, and Life Challenges, today 